This week's episode of Aussie Takeout is brought to you by Start New Company. Register your company immediately today with ASIC. ABN, TFN, GST registration is also available directly from the portal. Also set up your family trust and self-managed superannuation fund and more. All at startnewcompany.com.au. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash startnewco and keep an eye out for our regular specials. Start your new company now within 10 minutes of lodgement. All legal company documentation provided after registration. startnewcompany.com.au. Also brought to you by athwebhosting.com.au. All our servers are operating on SSD drives, immediate activation, SSL certificates, Aussie support, domain registration and more. Easy install WordPress, Joomla, Drupal and 300 other one-click installations. Generous space and bandwidth, auto backups, WordPress help and maintenance plans are also available on contact. If your webpage is important for your business or your life, contact us today. Aussie support, secure services, athwebhosting.com.au. And now for the show. Welcome to episode 677 of the Aussie Tech Heads, recorded on the 14th of May, 2020. I'm your host, Jason Oakley, and this is my co-host, Will Tompkinson. Hey, Will. Hey, mate. How goes it? Pretty good. Oh, you know what I just realised about that intro? It's actually what? the first time I've had both my headphones on for the intro, and I just realised it's actually in stereo. Ah. <laughs> and I mixed the thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's that guy doing the voiceover? I don't even recognise it. Uh, I don't know. Some, you know, some he can't. Height. He doesn't know how to pronounce Drew Powell correctly. <laughs> yeah, he's, you know, this is what happens when you, you can't. You just can't get the what's talent that, these days. What's that? Um, what is it? Fiverr dot com. I think that's one of those guys. <laughs> oh yeah. So that's why I'm going to pay five bucks. You get that sort of quality. You got to pay. I it. had an account on there. Nobody <laughs> ever wanted me to do anything though. So I tell you what is becoming still... <laughs> um, quite popular is Cameo. Yeah. Um, Mark Shepard's on there. Yeah. Oh, lots, lots of people on there, but. Like, I love Home Free, a cappella group. I'm a big fan of theirs, and they're all on there. And it's 50 bucks, and they'll do, like, up to a one-minute thing. Ah. So, yeah, pretty cool for That's a nice. Mark is charging 100 bucks, and I'd like to get it for my daughter, but 100 bucks US is, like, a million dollars Australian <laughs> these days because our dollar is so crap. Well, that's, yeah, I mean, they're charging I want to buy a Spectrum US. computer from the UK, which is the only place you can get it. They're like... Oh, it's only ninety pounds, and I'm like, yeah, that's like one hundred and eighty dollars plus one hundred fifty dollars postage. Plus GST, because you got to pay GST everything. Now, import duty is only if it's over a thousand bucks. Ah, uh, eBay automatically puts import duty on the bottom of everything, so I don't know. That'd be wouldn't be anything though. Uh, they might yeah. put it on there. Yeah. They'd calculate it, but I don't think you'd pay because I think you only paid if it's over a thousand. Oh, okay. They probably calculate it, but you still got to be like four hundred bucks for a computer, though. Or is it like no. five hundred bucks? I know Harvey Norman, Jerry Norman cracked it, and now they dropped it. No, 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 not that four hundred dollars. If you get the price of the Spectrum plus postage, well, postage is a thing. Like postage is ridiculous now. 
It's $160 to post it here and $160 to buy it. Well, I got um, a friend who's, well, I say a friend, a guy I know is in the Isle of, um, Isle of Man. Yep. And to send something from the UK to the Isle of Man, like he sent a, um, I can't remember what it was. It's like a, a food package thing had like, I don't know, it was probably a shoebox size. To send it from the UK to the Isle of Man cost them $65. Jeez. He sent them back like a big moving box full of stuff. It was a YouTube, yep. one of those YouTube secret Santa dealies. And he sent it from the Isle of Man to the UK and it cost like $12. <laughs> so somebody's making some money somewhere. I um, ordered some stuff from the UK on the 10th of March. Yeah. It's not here yet, is it? No, it won't be. It's it's got to sit in it's got to sit in customs for thirty days <sighs> before it. That makes sure there's no virus on it. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> or it, any other excuse they can have for delaying it. Pretty much, they, they don't actually use the real excuses. We're just useless. Yeah. But see, that's the thing. Like at work, we use a program called ShipIt, which calculates couriers and best rates and and all that sort of stuff. And Fastways is often cheaper by a few dollars than Couriers Please. The thing is, Couriers Please will pick it up today and drop it to the other side of the state tomorrow. Yep. Fastways will pick it up at some point in the next five days and then across town is promised delivery five days later. So it could take 10 days to ship something across town. Drop it off on the way home, dude. Like, like $2 cheaper than <laughs> Couriers Please, it'll do it the same day. Yeah. It's like, seriously? How do you survive? How does your company but, survive? But then you get Toll, who does exactly the same thing for $460. And uh, everyone else is like $11. And you're like, <laughs> yes, I'm going to choose that as an option. <laughs> Just let me choose that one. There we go. $460, thanks. Toll, whose <laughs> computers got hacked this week and all the records released on the internet. Was that Toll? I, I, mm. couldn't, remember, I, knew, I couldn't remember who it was. I couldn't find that story again either. Yeah, you can know the keywords to look for. I don't have it as my story. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't. I knew that it was. Um, I, I vaguely remember hearing about it, but I'm like, who was that? <laughs> <laughs> Every week, there's somebody big that's. I just love the. I, I just love the headline: hacked again. Like, <laughs> really? Can we, <laughs> we need to do it it's again? It's a common thing. Everybody's details about everything is all over the internet. There's nothing well, private. I think it, it's kind of uh, hack begets hack because they hack somebody, they get their details, and then they've got details to all the other sites that they use. They've got their information so they can get into there. So once, they, once the ball starts rolling, it just progresses without any effort, you know. And people who are whacking their stuff up on Amazon buckets and don't secure it afterwards and go, it's all right, we just put it on the server. Yeah. You know that's searchable? By anyone? Yeah. Oh, they downloaded our database of customers. I used to love it when that was a thing you could do. Now that people are waking up to that. You get something like a fitment guide from a company that's for like batteries that fit cars and what cars and makes and models and what batteries and stuff. Yeah. And even five years ago, you could go to their website, right-click it, save database, done, grab it, and I've got a copy of it now. <laughs> but now it doesn't work like that, unfortunately. Now I've got to do, oh. it, do it the hard way. That's things for you doing anyway. <laughs> Um, I've got a jacket this week. We're plodding along, you know. Got my solar installed yesterday. Whoa, how'd that go? Got my 10 kilowatts up, so. 
actually lucky. I was looking at the old panels that they took down. I was looking at them this morning, and one of them's actually melted the junction box and the panels fire damage. So um, that lightning strike we had last year that must have done more damage than what I initially thought it did. So, and now you're completely off grid. Um, no, because the 10 kilowatt system was grid tied, but um, I found a provider that's paying 18 cents uh, feeding. Nice. So I did a quick calculation today. Uh, well, since I've had the solar, we had cloud yesterday and rain today. <laughs> <laughs> So I haven't been able to work out what the system's doing it yet. It doesn't but... rain up there. Don't <laughs> trick me with that rubbish. Um, but working on 18 cents feed-in and 24 cents um, normal tariff, yep. um, I should have made about $5 today. I made $5 today even with the cloudy weather. So That's all right. It's going to be interesting to see what, how it pans out. But yeah, my 18 cent, um, there's a 10-day cool-off period and that finishes... Sunday, so by Monday I should be on the new 18 cent tariff, which is perfect timing because yeah, I uh, gives a couple of days to work the bugs out in this system first, and yeah, it's all monitored. I can monitor it all remotely with my phone, and and then some of you're going to be cheering. Oh yeah, for sure, it's going to be great. So. Striker should be getting NBN tomorrow, I think it is. Yeah, fiber to the curb. Yeah. Womp womp. Fiber <laughs> uh, to the curb's fine. Like it's okay. Yeah, you still you still can easily get um, forty one hundred out of fiber to the curb. Yeah, I used to get it. And one of my friends also up in uh, Queensland has just got NBN from our favourite Aussie broadband, and he's like, when they say they're giving you one hundred forty, they give you one hundred forty. Yep. <laughs> Check yep. this out, everyone, and then his friend over in. Some other country yeah. posted theirs at like five hundred down or something. Yeah, and like, like, yeah, and you can shut up. Yeah, it's funny. Like, uh, you can. Um, who was it? Someone the other day. Yeah, they didn't say they were staying on. Um, because obviously you can still fly for business trips and stuff, fly overseas and whatever. And he had to go over to. I think he went over to. Um, it was a big. I can't remember if it was like Tesla or IBM. It was a big industrial headquarters he went to to do his job and um he was on their guest wi-fi yep. and it was like one gigabit up and down <laughs> <laughs> and that's like their open no password free to anybody no, that, guest that can't wifi. be possible because then australia <laughs> should surely be able to have that if that was a real thing i think you must have been having a dream mr t and um that was on oh. yeah and he's like how he's like can I just download like the entire internet while I'm here? <laughs> <laughs> Might as well. <laughs> so it would probably was, it would be on wireless. It would be less sustained. Like it would burst at that. But once you started using it, it dropped down. But still, I mean, realistically, you, it's not going to drop down. Much. You're restricted to your hard drive write speed at that point, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> so as long as you got gigabit network at home. Yeah. Well, I got. I do, but I really. Very, very rarely use the bandwidth on it. Like, even the only time I probably would use it is when I'm copying, like, after this show, I'll edit the video and whatever, and I'll move the local recorded file up to the NAS. Yeah. That would be the only time I would use it. The rest of the time, you sit there and watch the traffic monitor and it's ticking over at like one and two percent. Like, it just doesn't work the rest of the time, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, 
Good but, to have, though. Yeah, but I mean, I don't use my 5G Wi-Fi either. Like, it's too flaky. We always having dropouts and always having issues with it, and you don't get constant speed. You get burst speed, and then it slows down. So I just use the standard 2.4 and never have a problem with that. Yeah, yeah. So... Well, anyway, I guess we got a few show. We got a few shows tonight. A few shows to do tonight. This is the first one. <laughs> Let's get started. It's going to be a late one. Uh, then we don't have to do shows for the rest of the year. That's a good plan. We'll just do like twenty Holiday. tonight and we done with it. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing else is going to change too much in the tech industry in the next six months. So. <laughs> Speak at NBN. We have some bad news, everybody. Australian fixed broadband users that are on networks capable of 25 megabits per second or quicker and not connected to the NBN will soon need to pay an extra $7.10 monthly charge to subsidize those connecting to NBN's loss-making fixed wireless and satellite technologies. The regional broadband scheme, also known as the broadband tax, was recommended to be passed by Senate Environment and Communications Legislation Committee back in September 2017 and again in February after the bills have previously elapsed. Those bills, Telecommunications Regional Broadband Scheme, Charge Bill 2019 and Telecommunications Legislation Amendment Competition Consumer Bill 2019 also put statutory infrastructure provider SIP <coughs> obligations on NBN to ensure it's the infrastructure provider of last resort. Those proposed SIP obligations will ensure that all people in Australia are able to order a high-speed broadband service regardless of where they live and that NBN becomes a default SIP as the network is rolled out. Yeah, RBS right. will provide equitable and transparent funding for the loss-making NBN fixed wireless and satellite networks in region Australia, the government said previously in January 2018. SIP obligations in the RBS form an integrated package. One cannot proceed without the other. The broadband tax is set to commence in July and charge will be indexed yearly. Much of the debate surrounding the RBS had hinged on whether it should include mobile and fixed wireless broadband users, such as Optus 5G home product, with a committee starting, stating in February that a later review should look into it. In the event of a material change to the NBN uptakes rates, the uh, committee agrees that the statutory review could consider expanding the levy base to include mobile services. Speaking at a hearing earlier this month, representatives of the Department of Communications had said fixed line services were not directly substitutable for 5G services and thus NBN would not lose significant number of users to 5G. Our view is, and our view still remains, that mobile and fixed line are complementary services. Department of Communications Assistant Secretary of Broadband Information, Andrew Madsen, said at the time. Yeah, because so, they're not giving you a free 4G backup with your with your NBNs, you know. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, they're completely separate services. <laughs> I don't know. They spruiked this whole... Anybody can have it, but they can't. My sister can't get NBN. No. She's lucky. Like Her her satellite connection is that bad. She's lucky if she can even get... Um, I should turn my audio up. I just realised for some... Is it, my mic's doing that thing again where it decides to be quiet for no apparent reason. What? Oh, I don't know what's going on. You'll um, have to speak up. I'm wearing a towel. <laughs> but yeah, my sister's like... As I said, she's flat out if she can get the internet good enough to use the phone. Yeah, like, that's pretty bad. Yeah, it, it, even the phone is crackly and poppy and, and like, you know, to watch a... When we go there, I go there and help her out and whatever and I want to watch a YouTube video, um, I have to watch it in, 
usually 240. On a good day, you can watch it in 360. Yep. Um, but generally 240 if you're allowed to buffer for 30 seconds before you watch it or 144 if you want it to actually work without buffering. I was going to say, if you want to watch something, you start buffering it in the morning and then check it in the afternoon. And Yeah, but the problem is that doesn't work because most services only buffer like a minute ahead and then they yeah. stop. So you can't even do that anymore. You used to be able to do that. You used to be able to pre-buffer videos all the way through. I don't know if it's a browser thing or if provide or if the host just limit it limit the, the buffer length now for bandwidth reasons or yeah you know but yeah you can't you can't pre-buffer anymore which is really annoying especially on sites like um 10 play that are completely useless and don't have enough bandwidth yeah um and you have to stop it every five minutes and buffer it for 30 seconds to <laughs> ne- watch the next five minutes like it's just a bit ridiculous that so i don't mind paying this levy if it does what it says it's going to do. Yeah. But that's a very big if. <laughs> Shouldn't have to pay extra, though. It's supposed to be nearly profitable by now, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, well, it's supposed to be fully 100% rolled out by five years ago. <laughs> and they, they are starting to borrow money from private enterprise now. So. Yeah, what could possibly go wrong with that? Right. That never so related badly. to that, 11 years ago, the Rudd Federal Labor Government announced the intention to build a national broadband network delivering super-fast broadband to Australia homes and workplaces, 93% via fibre to the premises and 7% via fixed wireless satellite. Several years later, the Liberal Party came into power and Abbott and Turnbull governments promised that the NBN would be built faster and cheaper with multi-technology mix, including fibre to the premises, fibre to the curb, HFC, Fiber to the node, fiber to the basement, fixed wireless and satellite. CEO of NBN now says the NBN is on track for completion in six weeks at the end of Q2 2020. NBN's completion target is 11.5 million residences ready to connect and about 300,000 of those were not done by the end of Q1 2020. Sydney Train says it's achieved on-time running when at least 92% of peak services arrive within five minutes of when they're supposed to. In a similar way, NBN will count their initial rollout as complete mid-year, even though 100,000 residences will have been put in a too-hard basket and left <laughs> to try and connect them again at a later date. Of the residences that can connect to NBN, about 63% have done so. This is because of various reasons. For example, the people who live in the other 37% are still connected to ADSL and the copper lines in that area haven't been cut off yet or they can't afford to connect or they only use their mobile phone for the internet. NBN's Chief Financial Officer, Philip Knox, said that the cost per premises of the rollout was higher than projected in the corporate plan because of more work required at some locations than expected. Regardless of whether you're in the group of people who wish for the full fibre approach or think the multi-technology mix has been a good enough solution, no one can deny that the NBN is better than the decaying old Telstra ADSL copper network. Don't forget that if the NBN project hadn't started and had been left to private sector to do what it wanted, the best Australia could have hoped for is super fast broadband for those lucky enough to live in richer areas of our big cities like the TPG fibre to the basement rollout. Nah, I don't buy it. <clears throat> no? If it had been left to privatise, it would have become commercial privatisation. So somebody like Google, who it's in their best interests... Um, what are people are saying? Google just buy up Australia's NBN and do it properly. <laughs> yeah, well, there's that. <laughs> but it, it, yeah, that's the thing. Like, um, it's only 
the government's the only person who thinks that they've actually done something constructive. You know, like nobody else. Uh, what they've done basically, they're, they're complaining about yeah how the copper network for Telstra is ADSL would have decayed, but like, what is it, forty percent or something of the NBN is still using the copper network that Telstra put in place. Yep. And so real. Like, Telstra said, "This is crap. Don't use it." Yeah. They're like, great, we'll use it. Can we buy it cheap? Yes, yeah. you can play it cheap. We don't want the damn thing. Good luck with that. Yeah, that's it. Like, it's just, just dumb. And it, there's still so many people on, if it rains, the internet don't work no more for a couple of days. Yeah, I know lots of people that still have that problem. Yeah. Um, uh, and I mean, there's, there's, it's not, I'm talking like out this way. Once I sort of head west from here, it gets very, very rural. And I know entire towns that don't have phone or internet when it rains. Or there's Telstra's buried a, a trunk line six inches under a farmer's field and some apprentice is playing the field this year and they dig the trunk line up. Yeah. Like, you know, there's just so many stupid things happening still that just there shouldn't be a thing anymore. You know, so I, I don't understand the whole 5G rollout. It's a load of crap. We don't need it. We don't have an infrastructure for it anyway. None of the backbones can handle it. Just fix the infrastructure we've got first and make that work and then worry about 5G in 10 years' time when we've caught up. Yeah, uh, one of my techie friends was saying 5G at the most anyway is just going to do better multiplexing of video streaming uh, if everyone's watching the same thing. Other than that, it's no faster than anything else. You're not going to notice it because you're still speed. You're still speed restricted by the physical infrastructure. Yeah, and most stuff is still 3G anyway. So. Well, yeah, I mean, realistically, you don't notice a lot of difference between 3G and 4G, except you get better 3G signal than you get 4G signal, and it's going to be worse with 5G. Yeah. So, what's the point? It's just pure. I mean, I, I still get. You know, my telco, I won't say who they are, for my cellular connection ringing up going, hey, do you want a 5G phone? Why do, why do, why do I want that? When is 5G coming to my town? Maybe five, ten years. Yeah. So So why would I want a phone? The point. Yeah. Well, did I mean, you get a new phone? Well, that's good, but it's exactly the same as my current one and doesn't do anything else funkier. No, this is it. Like, I, All the phones are reached a peak. There's nothing exciting about any new phone that's coming out. No. Except for maybe Huawei or... Um, oh, I mean, the, but the, you still got the same problem. Like, regardless of whether the phone's 5G, I mean, the, there is new t phones coming out that are supporting whatever, but it's pointless because... The, at some point, the internet's going to hit a physical connection or a satellite link, yeah. or it's going to hit the undersea cable. And as soon as it does that, you're going to lose your speed. Anyway. I mean, if, if okay, if I'm standing on that side of the cell tower and a friend's standing on this side of the cell tower and we decide to send each other a video, yeah, okay, maybe that'll be quicker. <laughs> but that's that's about it. That's, about it. <laughs> that, that's pretty much it. The rest of it... that. The, the, it ain't going to fix all your problems. Uh, it's going to cause and more problems. And 5G so. goes less distance anyway, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, like a tenth so of the... you need more towers. 5G goes like 300 metres. And that's at... You need a lot of towers. That's to at it. the level that we're using in here, which is like 20 times the maximum safety level the other countries are allowing. So... <laughs> so there's back that. to me when there's a good thing about 5G. Yeah, I'm glad I don't live in the cities, all I can say. You know, I mean, I don't have a problem with 5G in small doses like routers, for example, are 5G, but they're very low, free, low, you know, 
low power. They're only yep. whatever they are, twenty twenty five milliamps or something like. They're very low power consumption. But I just don't particularly want a massive big five G tower. You know, regardless of whether or not you think the medical side of it's an issue, just the interference that that much frequency radio wave frequency is going to cause with TV signals and with radio waves and with other signals that you've got with messing up people's Wi-Fi and it, it's going to cause all sorts of headache Re- regardless of whether or not you think that it's a, me- a, a medical issue that's an entire separate thing again hmm. um, d- just from a pure functional standpoint it's going to cause far more problems than it solves well so, they're going to push forward whether you want to or not there's a lot of people in a lot of countries who are tearing the towers down faster than they can put them up. Burning them down. Yeah, burning them down, pulling them down, yeah. driving tanks into them. <laughs> Various <laughs> different ways of destroying them. works. Yeah, pretty much. Um, okay, so... <laughs> Any stories for you? I've got lots. I've just got to figure out which way to go. <laughs> All right, so what I'll do but, first, yeah. I've got a story about hard drive reliability but i just want to quickly uh add to that story first so this story mentions hgst and i wasn't aware of hgst as a company but it stands for hitachi global storage technology so basically what was the last time you heard the name hitachi (laughs) well they still make hitachi hard drives Um, yeah but you just don't don't hear it it. most of your commercial stuff is still either hitachi or ibm but it turns out... I mean, out... they make these amazing things called Hitachi Wanda here, but we won't mm. go into that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Hitachi, um, IBM, Western Digital, and there's another one somewhere that I found before and I can't find now. But they are all the same company in terms of hard drives. When, you know, if Western Digital releases a hard drive, IBM and Hitachi have the same lineup. Um, which is, explains why Western Digitals have become a very reliable drive because I remember in the mid to late 90s, you wouldn't touch a Western Digital as far as you could throw it. You Didn't know? they have like, they took turns, like Connor was crap for a while, then Seagate was it's, crap yeah. for a while. and then... uh, I mean, I, You remember Maxdoor? Maxdoor. Well, Maxdoors were just a problem. Or, there was never a time where they weren't an issue. <laughs> uh. The problem with Maxdoor was they were a fast drive. They yep. were very, very quick. They are completely unreliable, but they were very, very quick. Um, but, yeah, so, th- th- yeah, there was a point there in the mid to late 90s, early 2000s where, yeah, what, every year you'd have to change which particular hard drive you're using because <laughs> reliability would change. But Western Digital, I mean, I use Western Digital. My, my NAS has got it. My computers run it. Um, not SSDs, but spinning disks. And I've got two terabytes being just that are eight and nine years old, and they're still perfect. So I don't have a problem with them. But uh, so basically, this is which company makes the most reliable hard drives. So Google, I know, has done this a couple of times, but this time I found a test by Backblaze, who does nice. all. If you don't know who Backblaze is, they're basically an online backup utility. I actually used them for years before I got my NAS. I finally ditched them now that I've got the NAS, but I used them for a long time. Um, yep. And they were great. The, the, the backup infrastructure and everything's amazing, really fast. But obviously, they use a lot of hard drives. Um, so basically, this includes the HGST, so the Western Digital's 
or OBMs. We'll call them Western Digital effectively because that's most likely what they are. Um, the Seagates and Toshibas. So they've got 130,000 drives, um, about 11 million drive days between them. Uh, they've had 335 drive failures at 1% failure rate. Oh. Um, some of the, you know, at, at first glance, you look at some of them like the, um, you know, the Seagate drive here where they've, they've got, they've had 1.4% failures. They've had 29 failures. Well, this one where they've had 126 failures. But the thing is, they've had 126 failures, but they've, We've got 3.3 million drive days between 36,000 37,000 drives. Hmm. So that's why their failure number's higher. Um, but you look at some of these and there's some definite reliability issues with some of them. Like this one here, they've got um, they've only got 2,000 they got 2,000 drives. They got 260,000. They got four four failed drives and they've only got half a percent failure rate, but they've got a very low amount and they're only a four gig drive so you'd be expecting by now the tens and twelves and 16 gig drives to be causing the problem which is true down you know they're they're only in this case they're too new to uh to assess but traditionally you'd always steer away from big drives because the big drives are inherently more less reliable than older technology but um, it looks like that Western Digital and, and Seagate are on the ball there with their, um, especially you look at the Western Digital one here where they've got nearly a million drive days on 10,000 drives and there's half a percent failure rate. Like it's less than their average, their overall average and that's for a 12 terabyte hard drive. That's pretty good. You know, so <laughs> it's, um, as I talked well, yeah, no, 12 terabyte, that's right. Yeah, the HU7212, yeah, 12 terabyte drive. So it's it's um, really interesting statistics that how reliable drivers come. I mean, I remember seeing this, well, even they've said that it's lower um, than it was in 2000. You know, they started tracking in 2013 um, and it's been the lowest since they've, since they've started tracking it. It's down 1.5% over last year. So it's amazing how spinning disks are becoming more and more reliable, even though the size is increasing. It's that goes against traditional. What you would expect, yeah. yeah. It goes against the traditional way drives work. Traditionally, you wouldn't touch a new drive. Like I remember when we went from eight hundred and fifty meg to one gig drives. Yep. Nobody touched a one gig drive for twelve months. Yeah. <laughs> like you, you just wouldn't, because you just know that it was going to fail. Only some of the businesses and enterprises who had multiple backups would, would go that way. and But the thing is, they would drive the reliability because they'd send the drives back, the drives be investigated, figure out why they died, and they'd improve that thing. So They can be the guinea pigs. Yeah, basically. Um, I mean, I've got a 50... I've got a 50 meg quantum drive at Dad's place that still runs as good as the day it was made. Wow. And that would have to be... Well, I had it since mid-90s, like yep. 95, 96, I got it, and it was second-hand when I got it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I forgot to say Quantum. <laughs> and what about Bigfoot? Yeah, oh, the Bigfoot, the Seagate. Was it Seagate? The Bigfoot drives? Yeah. Yeah. Those things used to just like make your entire computer just walk across the table. <laughs> like they just... Twin platter. Well, it was worth it. <laughs> twin platter, five and a half inch 
butters. <laughs> like, yeah, that, that, that was scary. They did, like, you, the lights in the house are dim when they started to spin up. <laughs> See what Although this, this were, next generation's missing out on with their they weren't as, memory hard drives. They weren't as uh, scary as the... Was it MFM? MF? Yeah, MFM, MFM hard drives. first drive. They were massive, five and a half inch, like this deep, like 10 or 12 platter, you know, two meg My hard drives. was a 128 meg MFM drive. Oh, that was the huge. Guys, the guys I worked with wouldn't believe me they made a drive MFM in 128 meg until I brought my computer in to show them. That's massive. Mine was a 20 meg in my XT. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, they were they were effectively a SCSI hard drive, so they're actually relatively fast. Um, they were just massively clunky, and and I'm just trying to find if I can find a spin up um, sound effect because you kids in your SSDs these days, back in my day, you could hear the hard drive from the other side of the house. Welcome to the video. Yeah, pretty much. It was. Um, uh, oh, you, you really could. And if you couldn't hear the, the video, you could hear the entire computer vibrating from the... <laughs> and some of, some of the CD-ROM drives would do that too. Oh, yeah. I had... Hey, everybody. Uh, don't talk. Just okay. play the thing. Um, I don't I care what you what you think. I just want to hear uh, the drive spinning uh, up. Uh, oh, here we go. Yeah. He's probably going to say something else, most likely. Wait for it. Wait for it. There we go. Now the harmonics are starting to kick in. <laughs> and head seek. Come on. Head seek. Get those heads. Come on. Wow, this is a real slow drive, this one. This is a Fujitsu. Um, 2.2... No, 22.9 meg. Wow. Come on, where's those heads? Why aren't they seeking? They should be seeking by now. Where's this drive dead? I'll probably pick the dead drive. Well. Yeah, that's annoying. But yeah, you get that, and then you get the whole head smacking against the, <laughs> the stops. <laughs> and There wasn't very much in the way of subtlety those days. No, no. <laughs> it wasn't a thing. I mean, even in... About six years ago, when I was working in the office and we had hard drives, and uh, you wouldn't know if the hard drive was good or not, so I plug it in, and my the coworkers would tell me, "Come and check out this hard drive and tell me if it's if it's good or not." Plug it in, turn it on, and I'd listen to it. Yeah. Uh, that hard drive's dead. You might as well throw it out. They're like, "How do you do that?" I said, "You have a listen. Yeah. You can't seek properly. It's just going." With the heads, not even picking up anything or moving hardly. No, I can't hear that. Like that? Yeah. If you've got a few of them together, you could probably make a tune out of that. <laughs> oh, there we go. Smack, smack. Just to seek the heads, just to make sure they're good. Yeah. <laughs> They used to have park sequences and... Yeah, I had yeah. a utility for DOS that you could park your hard drive head, especially if you're going to 
pick it up and take it over to your friend's place or something. You want to park their heads. Yeah, well, see, that's it. Because see how they've stopped. For those who are watching the video, you can see how the heads have stopped on the outer edge of the platter. Yeah. That's bad. <laughs> it's yeah. two things. One is let's put the heads at full extension so they're their most vibrating point. And that's where the data stored on the disk. So if you now pick that drive up and walk away with it and pick up the computer, they'll clatter backwards and forwards against the platters and destroy the heads and destroy the platters. Um, if you look back at the start of this video, you can see where the heads are sitting right on the inside um, on the inside there. So that's where the heads would pull back and park. Well, depending on this drive, a lot of them would pull back and park in there. It's like a record. It's got like a dead zone in the center. Yep. Some of them uh, used to pull back across and fold back across this arm here and park across there. So they're completely yeah. off the off the platters altogether. But um, yeah, no, there was all sorts. Of, used to be able to do low level formats too. Yep. You could really destroy a hard drive doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to put a drill through it. Well, no. See, this is the thing. Most people don't realize that hard drives are um, glass now. They're glass platters. So, they're actually really easy to destroy. You pretty much just throw them on the ground and it shatters the platters. Smash it. Um, yeah, there's, there's not much to them in terms of, in terms of shock resistance anymore. Um, Be very careful with your computer. Hello, everyone. Um, I've done a new... Stop talking. Again. <laughs> but yeah, it's... Um, is this one replaced? So, you can literally use them as speakers. You can bounce the heads against the platters and turn them into speakers. Really <laughs> so, like, you can literally play music with them. Yep. <laughs> so, there's, yeah. We used to do that with the Commodore 64 floppy drive. We had a program that would play Sadie, Sadie, <laughs> give me your answer, do. Yeah, oh, yeah, that that's really right. Cool. Uh, yeah, it used to seek the seek the heads in a certain point. Yeah, um, they cheat a bit these days. They do it all with Arduinos and stuff now. Um, but it's the same, exactly the same principle. Yeah, they just do it. Um, use the Arduino to seek the heads to where they want the heads to go to. So if you actually watch, you'll see the heads. Um, moving backwards and forwards now but the difference is instead of the program on the disc telling it where to seek the heads the arduino is just programmed to seek the heads to a certain point yeah and the speed at which it seeks and then the, sp the speed at which it stops is what controls the the uh sound waves that comes out of it and if you've got a disc in the disc out it changes the sound as well So yeah, that's pretty cool. And people get banks and banks and banks of those, put them all together, hundreds of the damn things. Oh yeah, there's there's <laughs> the Floppytron, which I think is like, a, it's 64 floppies, it's the Floppytron. But yep. there's another one where they've got um, the Floppytron, but they've also got scanners, they've got um, printers, and they've got old <laughs> hard drives, and they've got all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Um, like so you can't do that with your SSD and, and your USB nah. thumb drive, kids. Something, something, just you know about about mechanical vibration that you just 
you just don't get any more, you know. My SD card doesn't make very much noise. Yeah. This goes clunk, clunk, clunk. That's it, exactly. One note, it sounds like a drum. This is the uh, the Commodore 64 one we're talking about. Loading. Don't know which one they're going to play. Oh, here we go. Sing Song Serenade. Yeah, take that disc out so you don't completely destroy it. <laughs> it's a bit hard to hear with the background noise. <laughs> uh, so, you know. That was it's, great. it's not a new thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, just make sure you pull the floppy drive out because it, it does bad things if you don't. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing like the sound of the, the head dragging across the platter of the disc. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, and dear. then I had a 1541 too, but they were built differently and so it hardly made any sound. Even if you put your uh, ear right up to it, you couldn't hear it because it was, was so dampened. They discovered rubber, rubber dampeners yeah. at that point. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's uh, this week on Old Fart Geeks. <laughs> All right. So, something a little more modern. And actually, I bought these two days ago. Oh. Um, now, I've refused for the longest time to buy iPod, iPad, iBud things, equivalents, because they're just stupidly expensive. It's been a few hundred dollars. Yeah. Uh, Officeworks have these Kudo True Wireless Earbuds with charging case. 69 oh. bucks. Nice. And the same thing, the earbuds, they've got the the uh, the case there that you can, you put them in, the case charges them four times. Yeah. Um, they're actually really comfy. The audio quality is, I'm not going to say it's fantastic, but it's certainly acceptable. Yeah. Um, the microphone quality is decent. I've got, at work, I can put the phone on the counter, I can walk over in the workshop, so I can at least get 10 or 12 meters away without affecting audio. Um... They have um, uh, about a four-hour or so battery life. Yep. And the cool part about them is that you can either pair them as a stereo device or pair them as two independent mono devices to two separate devices. Oh, nice. So you can have one phone paired to one and one phone paired to another one or one phone paired to one and a computer paired to another one. So you have and you can talk to two people at the same time. Well, you have an earpiece and a microphone dedicated to two separate devices. Yeah. So for work, uh, I'm setting it up so that I'm starting to record videos for work, and I can now have two phones uses them as cameras with an earbud in each ear and two phones separately set up, and the recordings are going to those phones via the earpiece independently. Ah. So they're perfectly synced and everything like that. Or if I wanted to, I could have one going to my work computer and one to a phone so I could have a backup audio going to the work computer. Yeah, yeah. So I really like the fact that at first I thought, this is annoying, you've got to pair them both. And then I thought, well, hang on, no, if you've got to pair them both, that means you can just pair one. Yeah. And after <laughs> figuring out how the instructions work, because that was painful, <laughs> I managed to work out that, yeah, they do in fact support separate pairing of each device. So... Um, so yeah, for that price, I, 
you know, have no complaints at all. 69 bucks so far. That's I've used them for the last two days. And, um, you know, there's there's an example down there. There's your uh, Samsung Galaxy's 150, Apple AirPods 400, um, JBL's 148, Skull Candy's 118. So 69 beats all them out of the water. Yeah, you know, and for that price, especially at work, given the environment I work in with battery acid and stuff like that, the battery acid is most likely going to corrode the terminals and charging port on all of them regardless anyway. So spend 69 bucks and I can buy, well, what's the Apple one? 400. So I can buy like, what, six pair of these for the same price. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so now if you're looking for cheap wireless earbuds, uh, which I thought I would never say that, because um, <laughs> it's not something I generally am looking for. But in this case, yeah, I, I at this stage, I recommend these things. As I said, the, the sound's perfectly acceptable. It's not fantastic. It doesn't have great fidelity, but it, it's it's perfectly acceptable. Yeah. Um, the delay is very, very minimal, which is good because I've used some Bluetooth speakers and microphones before that have had horrible delay. Um, but these things actually do a pretty good job of it. They come with um, two or three different sets sizes of earplugs. They've got a three-year warranty. I mean, yep. you know. Um, so, yeah. So, I, I, they are a little fiddly to um, initially get them hooked up. But once you figure them out, they're not too bad. So Awesome. Yeah. And so, like the charging case, like they all do, they come with a separate charging case. But the charging case, you know, charges them up four times. So it realistically, said, um, only one hour to charge. Yeah, they charge it pretty quick, but that's the cool part because you can actually pair them both individually to the same phone. So technically, you, if you only wanted to wear one, you could go for eight hours in yeah. between charging them because you'd only have to wear one at a time. But you'd indefinitely charge them because you'd get eight charge cycles if you charge them individually. Because I'll charge a pair four times, so you could actually go an entire week if you're just using one at a time. No without having to charge the the base, so the only thing with that is you have to change between left and right ear. But <laughs> <laughs> that's, that, that's actually the worst part about these. If you've got them yeah. in your hand, you've taken them out of the case. You've got them in your hand. You then spend the next five minutes trying to figure out which ear they're going because <laughs> they don't have left and right written on them. <laughs> so Time to get a silver pen. It takes a bit to figure that out. Once you get that, they're good. So I just thought I'd mention that as a bit of a uh, a cheaper option because I'm a you know me cheap ass, so. <laughs> but uh, why not? The thing is, it was going to cost like eighty five dollars to buy a Bluetooth adapter to turn a normal lapel mic into Bluetooth. Anyway. Yeah. Um. So uh, you know. Does it trick? Yeah. Absolutely. Two security researchers have published today details about a vulnerability in the Windows printing service that they say impacts all Windows versions going back to Windows NT4, released in 1996. The vulnerability, which they codename Print Demon, is located in the Windows Print Spooler, the primary Windows component responsible for managing print operations. The service can send data to be printed to a USB or parallel port for physically connected printers to a TCP port for printers residing on a local network or the internet or to a local file. In the rare event, the user wants to save a print job for later. In a report published, security researchers Alex Onescu and Yard and Shafir said they found a bug in this old component that can be used to 
can be abused to hijack the print spooler internal mechanism. The bug can't be used to break into a Windows client remotely over the internet, so it's not something that could be exploited to hack Windows systems at random over the internet. Print daemons are what researchers call a local privilege escalation vulnerability. This means that once an attacker have even the tiniest foothold inside an app or Windows machine, even with user mode privileges, the attacker can run something as simple as one unprivileged PowerShell command to gain administrator level privileges over the entire operating system. This is possible because of how the print spooler service was designed to work. Because this is a service meant to be available to any app that wants to print a file, it is available to all apps running on the system without restriction. The attacker can create a print job that prints to a file, for example, local DLL file used by the OS or another app. The attacker can then initiate the print operation, crash the print spool service intentionally, then let the job resume. But this time the printing operation runs with system privileges, allowing it to overwrite any files anywhere in the OS. The good news is that this has now been patched, hence Inoscu and Shafir's public disclosure. Fixes for Print Daemon have been released yesterday with the Microsoft May 2020 patch Tuesday. So that only goes back, what did you say, 90, uh, 96. 96? Yeah. <laughs> so that's only, what's that, 15 years, 14 years? Nobody thought of it before, and oh. your XP and NT are not going to get patched, and probably not Windows 7 either these days. Oh, anything pre it. well, even 7, even... Um, 8? Yeah, even Windows 8, I think. I don't know, if are they still, oh yeah, no, it's 7, that gets uh, stop support for, wasn't it, yeah. Yeah, but they did say they would still release major zero day stuff. Yeah, vulnerability stuff. So the thing yeah. is, on you, you think you got an NT four server sitting there somewhere though? Good luck getting a patch on that now. Yeah, they would still exist. <laughs> they probably run banks and stuff as oh, usual. I guarantee they still exist. The Queensland government's most likely using them to run Centrelink, <laughs> but um. <laughs> That's where the census and everything runs, isn't it? Yeah, that's the that's the the voting server. Yeah. Wow, that's it's hard to believe that they got away with that for so many years before. Nobody thought to look at it or update it. I guess so. It's not really a very heavily used service. Like the printer spool, in terms of a network, is, but in terms of outside of a localized network, it's not really something you. You about. very rarely would use. And if you did, it was generally through a third-party application anyway. Mm. You know, it's usually if you're going to print something, you've you've either logged into the work computer to do something anyway and you print it either at work or you print it at home from work. Yeah. You wouldn't generally log into a printer remotely to print specifically yeah, from the server to a printer from... A remote location. No, the only problem is that every version of Windows uses the spooler for printing, so everything's got it and everything uses it. Yeah. You don't even think about it, do you? So like, it, it is. It, it really is. I haven't changed the method of printing in, in that long. No. <laughs> just the same software. They just made a 64-bit version, recompiled it. There yeah. we go. And realistically, all it does is it just changes the nuances that that particular printer wants. It doesn't um, I guess it was, if you think about it, it was a good way of doing it because they just took 
every program effectively prints this data. It's going to print it like this. All we need to do is change the slight DPI, change the font, change the, you know, yeah. a small tweak. Mostly it just, you hit print, it goes straight to the spooler, and then you can go on editing documents and doing anything yeah. else. And the spooler handles sending, talking the, to the printer. Are you ready to print? Yeah, got enough ink. Yeah, yeah got enough paper. Exactly. Yeah, you haven't finished yet. Yeah, hang on, i wait. Okay, here's some more data. Stop. Well, you've got 200 and... Oh, there was a thing where Windows did for a while, and I don't understand how they managed to do it. We had a commercial printer at work that had 512 mega RAM, and yeah. somehow it couldn't print a PDF in one go. Oh. If you printed like a two-page PDF, it would have to have like five minutes to think about it, then it would print one page, and then it would have to unload that and spool the second page, have another five minutes to think about it. Printing. <laughs> you could print massive photos, you could print whatever you wanted, never had this problem, but PDFs, nah. Didn't just want to know didn't about want to know it. it. <laughs> and you're watching the spooler, and it's saying you know, sent 256 meg of 2048. And you're like, it's a one-page document. <laughs> Why is it two gig? PDF bloat. <laughs> so I guess Spooler hasn't always been uh, useful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now that I think about it. But no, I mean, I, yeah, it's good because the other thing is like, obviously in a commercial situation where you've got multiple people printing to one printer, yep. you can have a queue. Uh, whether the server handles that or whether they get spooled locally, I guess depends on how you got it set up. But yeah, that that's where it comes in particularly handy, where you've got 14 people trying to print to a dot matrix that prints like one page an hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which does happen. Does happen. Any more stories for you? Our dot matrix used to print triplicate. Can't oh. do that with a new printer. Mm. There's one thing I miss is the triplicate printing. Yeah. Um, so a few stories, a couple of quick ones. Um, I'm just going to play, I'll, I'll play, no, I'll wait till the end of the show and do that. I'll talk about, um, this one quickly. Now, <clears throat> their fundraisers, especially on their live streaming, you can donate later as well once it's, once the show's over. But, um, Josh Gad, who you probably know as Olaf from Frozen, he does other stuff as well, but that's mainly what he's known for recently. Um, Last week, got the cast of The Goonies together, and they did a Zoom hangout meeting thing, um, and that was really cool watching some of the... They had not even had the cast, they had the directors, they had the producers, they had writers, they had all sorts of stuff um, in there, and then this week, they've done um, Back to the Future cast. Nice. So they've had you know everyone from... Uh, Christopher Lloyd, Michael J. Fox, they've had um, Huey Lewis was on there, they've had Steven Spielberg, they've had, uh, who else do they have on? They had um, oh, all sorts of cast members on and off. And yeah, they're really very, very clever, very well done, not your standard, as much as he, he's fangirling over the whole thing, even he said <laughs> that, but they're not your standard panel style interview because everybody gets involved with everybody else and everybody talks about um different things that they wouldn't you know they wouldn't normally some of these people haven't seen each other for, like you wouldn't normally get Huey Lewis and Michael J Fox in the same room no. you know so when they <laughs> talk anymore. you know so when they talk to each other they have but interesting since he told him to get off the stage cuz he is terrible <laughs> musician this is too loud um but yeah so it's a really good one there's that and I said the same thing you did the cast of the Goonies 
um, last week. Um, you can see, I'll find a screenshot. You can see there's there's all sorts of people. Uh, where are we? On there, there's um, uh, what was his name? Data, data, data. Um, that was the the main guy. Uh, where is he? This guy over here, the one in the sitting in the chair. He was um, uh, I can't uh, chunk. Um, so yeah, so they're just fantastic um <laughs> interviews to watch. So if you if you like that sort of those sort of things, go and check out Josh Josh Gad. He's um he's <laughs> just amazing. He's got all these guys together, you know. So it's definitely yeah, yeah. worth definitely worth watching. They they are long. They're you know half hour each or whatever. Plus there's um a couple of videos with uh our takes and behind the scenes and stuff as well. So <laughs> you, can, you can quite easily kill a couple hours doing that. See on that one they had um Sean Austin, Josh Brolin, uh Jeff Cohn, Martha Plimpton, Kerry Green, Robert David, Joe, uh Chris Columbus, Richard Donner, Steven Spielberg, Cindy Lauper. You know, so <laughs> Wow. And then they've got uh they also do the um, Power of Love, but it's from the. Uh, I'll mute that. They do the Power of Love, but it's from the. Um, the wrong button. What's the stupid. How do you work this stupid, stupid. What do you mean, um, computer? <laughs> the, so basically, um, Back to the Future's musical yep. is about to start. Um, but they've got all the cast obviously the musical can't perform at the moment so they got all the cast together to do <laughs> their own what they would normally do during the during the uh, the thing so the cast of the musical gets in there as well and does their their stuff so no it's it's a good watch it's a lot of fun very entertaining and uh, as I said it's all for charity so if you do feel like it you can actually go and donate um as to whether or not it allows you to donate is interesting. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. It's an American charity. Yeah. Uh, and it seems like randomly one day you can donate and then randomly the next day you can't. So I'm not really sure what's <laughs> what's happening there. But uh, uh, another quick one. Um, I won't spend too much time on it, but just in case you weren't aware, uh, Toll has been hacked again. <laughs> Second <laughs> mate... Second major cyber attack this year. <laughs> um, revealing to close numerous international customers facing systems after being infected by a new form of ransomware. The company faced over a month of costly disruptions when the system was compromised by Russia-based hackers, of course, who unsuccessfully sought a hefty ransom to unlock toll systems. In a statement posted online, toll which is owned by, Jap by Japan Post said it took precautions in shutting down central IT, certain IT systems on Monday after detecting activity on servers, didn't elaborate on the identity of the hackers, yet mysteriously they know they're Russian hackers. And <laughs> <laughs> um, they didn't pay any ransom, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, so, I don't know, it was the attack early this year, ran from January until March, um, where it could not tell customers, including Telstra Optus and Officeworks, where their parcels were, mm. as, as opposed to normally, where they can't tell you where they are anyway. <laughs> <laughs> So there's that. Um, you had one on uh, the new 
awesome looking graphics that are coming out. PlayStation 5 and Epic's Games announced its new Unreal Engine 5 today and finally have an idea of what graphics will look like on next generation hardware. The first gameplay footage from Microsoft's Xbox Series X was underwhelming, but the first run of games on new hardware typically is. The nine minutes of footage from Epic, which is running a tech demo on PlayStation 5 hardware, offered our first real glimpse of what may be the future of video game visuals. The clip features a video game protagonist exploring a cave system, then sky surfing through a mountain pass as ruins crumble around her. Epic designed it to showcase two new features of Unreal Engine 5, Nanite and Lumen. Epic Games says that Nanite allows game designers to render an incredible amount of polygons on screen, leading to photorealistic environments. Lumen is a new lighting engine that renders light and fills space similarly to NVIDIA's RTX technology. In the demo, the two new technologies add up to a beautiful scene with complicated textures, animation, and lighting. Epic Games is selling these new technologies and Unreal Engine 5 in general as tools developers can use to save time in the development process. According to Epic Games, Unreal Engine 5 comes with a suite of tools that allow developers to rely less on handcrafting environments and animations. The demo is gorgeous, but it doesn't show off the developer's version of the software. It's hard to know what the software will look like for its target audience, people making video games. Yeah, it's pretty sexy. Um, it's, I guess, what you would consider CGI in a lot of aspects. If CGI yeah. was again, well, they're using you know, uh, film quality renderers instead of computer game quality mm. renderers. So it needs to be higher definition for film. So they're using that in this. I mean, I know they always say that when consoles come out, they're unrivaled by PC. But I think yeah. because there's been such a lag time between the last lot of consoles and the new ones that are coming out, I really don't think that will be the case. Because looking at this, like, there are some games out now that look like this. And there's some VR games. There's a, actually a Tomb Raider VR demo if yep. you've got the uh, cardboard. And um, it looks every bit like this. Um, All right. Probably not quite as the... the I don't see, you don't see the characters model in it, but the background looks every bit like this. Like, it renders... Super high detail and being VR, it adds the next layer, real re, you know, realization to it. Um, but it's you know, I think where the thing's coming is whether this is this is going to be the thing is, is this going to be pre rendered in terms of is it effectively just playing a video in the background while the character's walking through it and you're controlling the character. Or it's supposed to be real-time gaming. It, yeah. So, like, if you threw a rock at that wall of rocks and it created a rubble landslide, you know, that would be rendering on the fly. Yeah. But most of the stuff we're seeing here is predetermined, so it's effectively pre-rendered almost to the oh, point... Oh, I see what you mean, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's not... It's not. It might be physically rendering it on the fly, but it's, it's treating it almost like a movie that it's playing. You know, it doesn't yep. have to think about the rendering process. This is where a lot of this technology falls flat on its face. Um, it can, it can, especially the smoothness can suffer. Like if it's doing this scene where everything's pre-rendered like this, okay, it's perfectly fine. But if a, you create an avalanche or something like that happens and all these rocks start falling down that aren't part of the pre-rendering, you start to get to see frame rate 
drop and stuff like that because it can't show the existing rendering plus update all the models oh, yeah. in in real time. So it's going to be really interesting to see the 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 hardware required if this is true on the fly rendering. Yeah. Um it's going to be really interesting to see the hardware hardware re- hardware required. That's much harder to say than it should be. <laughs> <laughs> I like how the uh, cockroaches in this all scatter, scatter and wave away from the light. See, there's an example, though. Is it scattering because of the light or is it scattering because they're pre-rendered to do that? Yeah. Now, we don't know with this tech demo if you're in control of that or whether it's 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 pre-done. That's but the thing with tech demos always, isn't it? That's right. But, as I said, if that's actually really happening and you're shining a torch at them and they move in different directions depending on where you shine the torch... And it can do that on the fly without affecting anything. And absolutely, that's that's perfect. You know that that's what they're going for. You they know. said they imported this statue from ZBrush with billions of triangles on it, and then you go into this next room, and there's another five hundred of those same statues with the same level of detail. Well, and this is the thing, though. They're pre-rendered, so they're not really treating them. Whilst they're stationary there, they're effectively just a sprite. You know, they're a sprite until something happens. Yeah. You know, if one (laughs) of them falls over, then that becomes a rendering challenge. Yeah. So this is the thing. Okay, it's all fine dandy to have a billion polygons on the screen, but if it's just playing it like a movie, it's it's nothing. If it's specifically rendering those billion polygons because now that there's a earthquake and everything's falling over and shattering and carrying on, then yeah, okay, that's 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 great. You know, so. Time will tell. It's just a very nice statue sitting in the corner there. Yeah. You know, (laughs) time will tell, you know. um, And it's going to be interesting. And a lot of these two tech demos aren't done on the hardware of the system. I remember when the PlayStation 2 came out and they were showing Daytona as their feature game on the PlayStation 2. The tech demo that you saw on all the PlayStation DVDs you got as the, the things and all the things you saw in the... Harvey Norman and whatever, they weren't the PlayStation 2 render of Daytona. They were the arcade render of Daytona. Ah, right. You know, when it actually came to... um, When it actually came to the PlayStation 2, yeah, it, it was great. It was still ahead of its time, and the, the at the time, the, the textures and the resolution was amazing, but when you had eight cars all controlled by AI and you're trying to have a race, especially when you had a two-person race where you had the computer had to render two separate screens and because you use that iLink cable thing. So, yeah. you know, you're, you're splitting your... Suddenly screens you know, slows down. Yeah, you're dropping down. I mean, it was only 25... Or I think it was only 25 frames a second anyway, but you're dropping visibly below 20, 15, 12 frames a second. Yeah. And it looked nothing like the, the tech demo. So... You know, tech demos are great, but I'm always a little skeptical until I see that in the wild. Tech demo is yeah. just that; it's just a tech demo. Probably be a little while before we see that. You know, um, like the the whole thing with the this actually, oh, it reminds me of the streaming the Steam where they were going to do the direct streaming from Steam servers. Yeah. You can do it to this day. I can, but it's still not practical. It's still Google Stadia, is that, isn't it? You know, I think so. Um, Same thing. 
but it relies on so many external features to behave. Yeah. You know, it's never as, it might work fine. It might be an amazing piece of technology, but it's never going to be as good as the tech demo you see where they've got the server sitting next to the box in the room beside it. You know, like it's, yeah. <laughs> it's just one of those things. Um, it just reminded me that a friend of mine um, a couple of weeks ago picked up a console. I'd only ever seen one arcade version of this and it was in a little general store up at Harvey Bay where we stayed. We were holidaying at Harvey Bay when I must have been 14, 13, 14. Yeah. And this little fish and chip shop on the corner had a Nintendo arcade game. Ah. And you could go in, you'd put your $2 in and yeah, $2 bought you 10 minutes. And you could physically switch between games. There was Mario Brothers. There was Zelda. Um, motor, the motorbike one. And I can't remember what the other ones were. But you could literally switch between those different games. You had 10 minutes to do whatever you wanted to do. Sweet. And the thing was, though, every time you switched, it physically... And I've only just figured out how it did it, but it used to take a while to switch the game. So... You might have 10 minutes, but if you switch after you put your coin in, you lose a minute switching games. Oh, right. <laughs> and I only just recently figured out a friend of mine found one. Um, they were a commercially produced unit, but they weren't very common from what we can tell. It literally had five Nintendos in the bottom of the console. Wow. And it had a joystick and a video splitter between all yep. these consoles. And when you physically turn the knob that switched the game... You physically switched the splitters and the power source to that Nintendo. So when you switched it, it would turn that machine on and turn oh, the other ones off and it would power it up. And that's what the delay was. Yeah, it literally <laughs> had five Nintendo consoles and each one with a game inside. And by doing that, they never had cartridge reliability issues because the cartridge never left the console. Um, but it was funny. Like they've, they've taken in this machine, like you can see the base plate with the circuit board and the console still sitting there, but they've just taken the top shell off the consoles. So the, the, right. there's five Nintendos in there with no top shells on them, but other than that, they're complete. And each one's got the player one and player two plugged in all going into a switch box. All the video yep. outs are going into a switch box. <laughs> and um, yeah, and it goes to a timer. It's physically a mechanical timer. You know the old, um, you used to plug them into a PowerPoint and you could tell you time on, time off. Yeah. It's one of those. That's literally all it was, and except it had minute increments on it instead of hour increments. You could go from one minute to like half an hour on this timer. Yeah. And yeah, when you switched the game, it would turn that console off and turn that console on, and the timer would keep going, so you had to wait for that console to boot up before you could play it. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, he tracked one of those down. It was an amazing bit of kit for the time, I tell you. Yeah, yeah. So, it sure sounds like it. But, uh, I mean, they made hundreds of bucks out of me. I remember playing that thing, feeding it $2 coins for <laughs> for hours at a time. You know, it was great. So, I just want to do, uh, once we, just for people to hang around if you really want to, I'm going to, before I stop the recording and stop the uh, the stream at the end of the show, I'm going to play a, just a quick little video that some people might get a kick out of. So, I'll... Um, I'll wait till the end of the show for that one after the credits, so hang around and don't be shy. And I have to say, too, we've had a few decent, uh, the last few weeks, had some nice comments and uh, some nice views and likes on our videos, which is really helping our channel starting to get a bit bit better known. Thanks, um, everybody. So thanks for that. It's also helping. And um, I'm looking at setting up a Patreon for people who want to give us a couple of bucks here or there just to help us with um, equipment costs and hardware costs and internet costs and stuff like that. So... 
uh, look out over the next couple of weeks for, for links to Patreon starting up. So, yes. Yeah, and thanks for listening to the Aussie Tech Heads show. Broadcast weekly, we can be found at facebook.com slash Aussie Tech Heads, twitter.com slash Aussie Tech Heads, and youtube.com slash Aussie Tech Heads. Email us glennwheelandwarlock at aussietechheads.com.au. You can hear Aussie Tech Heads on aussietechradio.com, 24-7 back-to-back play of some of the best tech-related shows from around Australia and New Zealand. New shows added each Friday. See you, guys. See ya, and don't forget to hang around for after the show. now for something completely different. Scott, you just don't get it, do you? You don't. Five million or so. But uh, we've been... The COVID safe app just... We... um, I said... Knock, knock. Who... Let me tell you a little story about a man named... Uh, Even before you start... That was a preemptive shh. Just know I have a whole bag of shh with your name on it. All right, guys. (laughs) Thanks for watching. See you later.